0: You know, one of the most compelling stories in scripture is found in Genesis chapter 22. If you're familiar with that landscape, it's a story about Abraham and Isaac. I love that story. And, and this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about that, some of the lessons that we learned from, from Abraham's life. But Abraham's an iconic figure in, script, in scripture and revered by Jews, Muslims, and Christians alike. To the Jews, he's the founding father of their religion, Judaism, and the Hebrew people. To the Muslims... He's considered a prophet, and through his son Ishmael, an ancestor of Islam's founder, the prophet Muhammad. And for Christians, he's the spiritual father of our faith. God made a covenant with Abraham that nations would be blessed by him. And Jesus Christ, his lineage is traced back to and through Abraham. Here's what Galatians 3 says. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessings Abraham received because of his faith. And today I want to look at a few of those. But before we jump into that, I want to look at Genesis chapter 22. And and this morning you have an opportunity to kind of exercise a little bit. You're going to get a chance to read along. So let's read the entire chapter. It's only 19 verses. It's going to be on the screen for you. Genesis 22, verse 1 to 19. You ready? Go. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, Which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horn in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in a place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yerah, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your own son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, and through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Then they returned to the servants and traveled back to Beersheba, where Abraham continued to live. Good job. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that it's your word that brings life to us, and it's your spirit that leads us into all truth. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with us this morning, and that you use the foolishness of of preaching to reveal your heart and the heart of God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. amen. It's good to read the word. So if you haven't exercised, that's what you get. So here are three things that we can learn from Abraham's life, and we'll come back to 22 a little bit later. Here's my first point for this morning. How we do life is a good indicator of who or what we worship. How you and I live our lives is a pretty good indicator of what we worship or who we worship. Abraham lived in a, in a polytheistic culture. In other words, he lived in a culture that worshipped many, many gods, hundreds, thousands of gods. Human sacrifices, temple prostitutes, and other perverted forms of worship were normal in his day. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham to leave his homeland, relatives, and friends, and to follow God. And Abraham didn't blink. He did what God told him. He was 75 years of age when we pick up the story in, in Genesis chapter 12. Seventy-five at the time. Can you imagine that somebody, That somebody, that, that you get a phone call, it says move. It doesn't, although it doesn't say it, it seems reasonable to deduce from Abraham's response to God's call that Abraham had a relationship with God. I don't know about you, but getting a call from a perfect stranger, hey, Hey, I got, a, I got a new place for you to go to. I know you never heard of it. Just trust me. Just show up here. The trucks are going to be there. Pack the kids. Pack the wife. Pack everybody in. We're going to send you out. I can't tell you your destination, but just go for it. Just trust me. Would you do it? I'd kind of have to know who's on the other end of the line, wouldn't you? You wouldn't do it if a per- perfect stranger called you up and told, and told you to do that, would you? But if you knew, some, if you knew the, the person on the other side, if you trusted them, then it stands a reason that you'd respond positively. And that's what Abraham did. Here's what Hebrew 11 says. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land that God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner, living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. He didn't have a clue where he was going. All he knew was that God had called him, and he responded with all of his heart. I remember when uh, my mom and dad, they, uh, in, the, in the early 50s, I think it was, uh, they were called to the mission fields. My father was a missionary to Papua New Guinea for about 14 years. And uh, he, as a Bible student, they were kind of praying about where to go, and they felt like, God was calling them to Papua. Uh, at that time, the, the, the missionaries before my dad showed up had been killed The one that w- to, at the place that he was going to serve. And so Pops and Mom, they kind of got together. And at the time, it was just my I have a, two older sisters. They were the only ones that then uh, they kind of packed on top of uh, uh, some boats and headed out to Papua New Guinea. Didn't know where they were going. Didn't know anything about the—didn't well, know a little bit about the people there. Knew that they ate people. And, uh, but they just loaded up and went, and they went, and I remember my dad telling me this as a kid. He said, we went there knowing that we were going to go there to die. We went there knowing there's a possibility we were not coming back. Now, you've got to be pretty confident in the one that called you to be, able, to be willing to say, it's going to cost me everything, but it's worth it. I remember when I got a call to full-time ministry, we were, I was working as a chicken salesman at Crestwell Foods. There's a place that used to be down there, at Furcrest Foods it's called, and uh, while I was working for them, I get a call every now and then from a buddy of mine who's a traveling evangelist, and he said, hey, Raj, you need to come to you know, Memphis State. We've got a position here for you, or Michigan, or a couple of, a couple of different universities. We want you to be a, be a college pastor here. I'm like, dude, I got a real job, and I got a wife, and she's pregnant, and no, I don't want to come. And then, uh, then I got fired about six months in. Then I was really open to, uh, to some suggestions. But I remember when he called me up. When, when Rice called me up, he goes, hey, man, God is doing some awesome things in Hawaii. I said, really? He goes, yeah, there's a lot of kids. That are, there's a bunch of athletes and, and, and young people getting saved on campus. And you need to come and see what, see what God is doing. You're the man. And uh, Hawaii sounded appealing, but it was still kind of scary. I didn't know what I was getting into. But as soon as that, that plane landed and I smelled that food, I knew I was home. <laughs> I know it's a weakness of mine, and God knew how to get to me. But I remember when I came back for my two week, kind of I went there for a couple of weeks to kind of check out the lay of the land. And I came back and I, I told Kimberly, honey, we're going to go to Hawaii. We're going to minister there. I didn't know what I was getting into. If you'd have told me that I was going to be a college pastor, if you'd have met me when I was about 13, 14, 15, and said you're going to be a college pastor someday, I'd have punched you in the face, took your money. <laughs> that was not in my plan. But God has a sense of humor. And we went there and we didn't have a clue what we were doing. Yeah, we had a little bit of training, but we hit the we hit the ground running. And man, God did some amazing things in spite of the help that he hired. And uh, to this day, some of our best friends uh, are those folks that we kind of led to the Lord and kind of walked with in their journey of faith together. Abraham didn't know where he was going. We don't get a lot of information about Abraham before God calls him out in Genesis 12. However, we do know that when we look at the biblical timeline and the genealogies, Abraham was the 10th generation removed from Noah, being a direct descendant of Shem, Noah's son. When Abraham was born, Shem was 390 years old, and his father Noah was 892 years old. Abraham was about 58 years old when Noah died, and 110 years old when Shem died. It's possible that Abraham hung out with grandpa, great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa Noah and great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa Shem, and it's possible that they had some conversations about what went on in the flood. How cool would that conversation be? That the flood showed up, and man, all of these birds and all these guys kind of run up on the ark, and man, it was kind of funky in there, and Shem couldn't stop farting, and I mean, just—I mean, can you imagine the conversations that they had? But but I'm sure somewhere in the middle of that conversation there was this there was this unpacking of this amazing God that told us, "Hey, here's the here's how you're going to do this. You're going to build a boat." Huh? Boat? What's that? Just shut up and build. <laughs> okay, now this these are the tools that you're going to need and these this is this is the materials that you're going to need. All right, whatever. And and I can imagine the conversations in the theater of my mind that 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 uh that little Abraham is sitting there listening to Noah and Shem kind of talk about, remember this and remember that and how God came through. I mean, in the theater of my mind, I just see that conversation going on and it had to be a cool conversation centered around the fact that there's a living God that loves us, that cares for us, that has a plan and a purpose for our lives. What we do know is that when God called Abraham to move out from the comfort of his hometown and family ties, Abraham did it. He did it without blinking. And if you read the narrative in, of Abraham's life in chapter 11, 12, and it actually goes past 22, but you can just go up to chapter twenty. It won't take you long. Just a little bit. You read a whole, read a whole chapter this morning. Take a few moments this week and check that out. What you'll find is a man who, who consistently followed after God. He had his issues. He had some problems. He had a problem with lying, a little problem with lying, a little problem with fear. You know, I mean, he, he was so afraid for his life and, when him and his wife were traveling, he was willing to sell her to sell her as a sex slave. We're talking about the father of our faith. He had some issues. The great news for Abraham is that the God who knew the challenges and obstacles Abraham would face, the God who knew the flaws in Abraham's character, the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God was choosing Abraham to be the catalyst, an agent of dynamic and divine change. For establishing his plans and his purposes. For restoring mankind into right relationship with him. For establishing a nation, a kingdom of people who would love him with all their hearts. Abraham in that culture, that polytheistic culture, ditched all the other gods and turned his life over to the one and only living living God. Abraham is promised land and and that his aging barren wife would bear him a son that he would be a father from whose loins kings and nations would be birthed. God found a man that he could reveal himself to and through, a man who God could trust with his plans and purposes. So this week, just take a few moments, perhaps, and, and check out Genesis 12 through 22. Read Abraham's story. What you'll find is a man who heard from God and embraced God's plan for his life. Following the one true God requires that Like Abraham, we ditch all other gods. Those things that have a hold on our affections, those things that we worship other than the one true God. Now you may say, I don't worship gods. Well, let's think about that for a moment. What consumes your thoughts and activities on a daily basis? What consumes your thoughts and activities on a daily basis? How much is God a part of that? What drives what you do, how you do it, why you do it, and how much is God a part of that? Luke 16, 13 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other. He's he's referring to who's in control of your life. You can't serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money saying that money can be an idol, money can be a God in our life. And you can put in whatever it is that you, whatever your thing is. How we do life is a good indicator of who or what we worship. Abraham, worshipped God. This week I was reading Isaiah 59, and a line I read caught my attention, and I felt compelled to include it in our conversation this morning on this first point. In Isaiah 59, one of the verses that, I, that, that I'm reminded of whenever, whenever I'm ministering to, to people who don't know the Lord is, 59.1 says, God's hand is not so short that he can't save you, nor is his ear so dull that he can't hear you, but your iniquities, your twisting and perverting of the truths of God have caused a separation between you and God that, you, that he can't save you. It's our twisting, it's our perverting of his truth, it's our it's our messing with God's purpose and plan. It's, it's, it's our sinning that has separated us from God. And later on in that, in that same chapter, it talks about those who are fully engaged in just stupid stuff. Just full of hell. Their feet run to do evil, and they rush to commit murder. They think only, only about sinning. Misery and destruction always follows them. And that's the line that kind of caught my attention during one of my, my devotionals. Misery and destruction always follows them. They do, don't know where to find peace. Let me ask the question this way. If how you do life, how you treat others, how you conduct business, how you do relationships with your spouse, your child, your neighbors, how you do, if how you do life were a boat cruising down the Willamette River, what are you leaving in your wake? What is following you? Are you leaving in your wake trial or blessing? Are you leaving in your wake misery or happiness? When you come into a situation, you know how it is, when somebody comes, somebody walks into the room, they've got this, you know, it's it's all good. But when they leave, they just leave a trail of tears. They leave a lot of heartache, a lot of confusion. Where are we at? What's the wake that's following us as we do life? Just peek back and have a look. Is the wife crying? Are the kids confused? Are your workmates glad you left the room? Is your neighbor worried that you're passing by? Just a thought. I prefer Psalms 23 to be what I leave in the wake of my life. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. That's what I want to follow me. Goodness and love, not misery and destruction. Goodness and love, not misery and destruction. Because how we do life is a good indicator of who we worship or what we worship. Second lesson from Abraham's life, Abraham's relationship with God fueled his faith. His relationship with God fueled his faith. Romans 4 kind of bears this out in some other scriptures. It says, clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's laws. Listen, it wasn't based on Abraham's adherence to the law, but on right relationship. On right relationship. Not obedience, on right relationship with God that comes by faith. Verse 17, that is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Verse 18, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. If you read a story, I mean, he had a couple of things he had to wrestle through. First of all is that he, his wife was barren. She's 90 years old and he's 100. He's way past, you know, that stage. Things aren't working so well right now. And he's thinking, I'm going to be the father of many nations. I can't, you know, she's toe up. But Abraham kept believing and believing God. And even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Verse 20 says, as Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise, in fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. I'm going to read that again. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Fully convinced. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. There was a time on his journey of faith from from the promise to the fulfillment Abraham ran into a little bit of discouragement. You see that in in chapter 15 of Genesis on the screen for you. Some time later, the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him, Don't be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you and and your reward will be great. But Abraham, he's kind of discouraged. He said, Sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you give me no children, my servant, the servant of my household will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own. So one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. God is clarifying for for Abraham. He said, my plans haven't changed. It's your son from your loins through Sarah who's going to be your heir. Then the Lord took Abraham outside. I love this part. Takes the guy outside. He's kind of discouraged. He says, Hey, look up to the sky. Check that out. What do you see? He says, I don't know what you see, but look up to the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you'll have, Abraham. Hang in there, son. It's going to be okay. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. If you go to Genesis 17, it says, And I will bless her. It's talking about Sarah and give you a son from her. Yes, I'll bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Jump down to Genesis chapter 21. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. He did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She bore a son, Isaac, the son of promise. Abraham's relationship with God fueled his faith And the same is available to us today. Perhaps you feel that you're pursuing God's plan for your life and you've hit a rough spot. My encouragement, and the scriptures would do this for us too, is to return to the presence of the Lord for times of refreshing. Stop talking and listen. Maybe that's what we need to do. Stop talking and listen to God. Here's a message from for the, as I was kind of preparing for our sermon, this, I felt like this was a message for someone here today. Just like he did with Abraham, God would say to you that the vision and promise that I have, that I gave you will come to pass. Only be strong and courageous. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways and he will make your path straight. That's for somebody in this room today. I don't know where you are. Abraham wasn't caught up in the promise. What he was caught up in was the promise giver. That's who the big deal was in his life. The God of the universe, the one who spoke, he could trust him. He could depend on him. It's not about the promise. It's about the promise giver. And he who began a good work in you and I is faithful to finish it. Faithful. To finish the good work that he's begun in our lives. Is life a mess right now? Good. He can fix it. Is your mind upside down because of whatever financial issues, relationship stuff, health is going on? Good. He's faithful. He's more than able. He can finish it. He can fix it. Don't try to lean into your own strength or your own understanding because you're just not that smart. And not that strong. Present company included. But trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Which brings me to my final lesson for today from Abraham's life. The third point is God is totally dependable and unpredictable. God is totally dependable and absolutely unpredictable. Let's go to Genesis chapter 22. We read this earlier. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, you read this earlier. He replied, here I am. Take your son, the promise, the one that your wife, when she was 90 years old, gave birth to, the one that I brought to you as a promise. Take that one, the one that you love, and go play catch with him. It's not what he says, because I go play catch with my son all the time. He said, go and sacrifice him. That's a tough one for a dad to swallow. I don't know about you. Maybe your son is on your last nerve, and that's a pretty good idea right now. (laughs) But he said, go sacrifice him as a burnt offering on on one of the mountains, which I'll show you. The next morning, the next morning, not a few, let me just pray. Let me just think about that for a second, Lord. Let me just, you know, I don't know if you really got your act together right now. Maybe you, you know, had a bad dinner or something. Probably really didn't say what you said. Let me just kind of think about that. It says, the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey. I want you to catch the sentence because it's rich. I love this sentence. Best sentence in the Bible. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told told his servants. The boy and I... The promised son, the one that I love with all of my heart, my treasure, the boy and I, we're going to go, we're going to worship, and then we are going to come back. Wait a minute. You don't understand, uh, Abraham. Hold up. You're going to go, you're going to worship, and then you're going to come back. I think you missed a step there because you're going to go, you're going to sacrifice your son, you're going to offer him up as a sacrifice, and then you're going to come back alone. That's how that's going to work out. Right? I mean, that's, that's the way we kind of break it down. God said, sacrifice. Okay, here I go. You're coming back alone. Abraham said, we're, we will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulder while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked, and you know the story, I mean, there were, can you imagine that that was going through, I I don't know, I can't imagine what's going through, he is walking up the hill, his boy, and you know, some scholars say he was a teenager, others say he was in his mid-30s, I don't care, all I know, that's my son I'm walking with, and he's asking me these really simple questions, hey pops, we got the fire, got the wood, (laughs) you got that really sharp blade, where's the you know, the offering? That's a legitimate question. Abraham's response, God will provide. And it's not just that he didn't just throw it out there. He was speaking from the depth of his soul, from his, from his intimate relationship with the God that he served, that he saw come through for him time and time again. That was the place where he was responding. He wasn't some, it wasn't some casual thing that he threw out there. This is life and death. And he's saying, son, just hold on. It's okay. God's going to provide us with a, with a sacrifice. He's got it covered. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's got it covered. In fact, I think he's going to raise you from the dead. That's not what he's telling him. But the, but the, Hebrew, and he, the Bible says this, is that Abraham considered, Hebrews eleven seventeen 17 says this, it was by faith that Abraham offered up Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who would received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. There were no defibrillators on the mountain, no EMTs, no emergency. There there weren't any surgeons or physicians standing by to fix it. He's saying he reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back. I don't know how he's going to do it. I'm going to try to put my mind around how this God works, and I think There's possibly, maybe, I don't know, but I think he's going to just raise him from the dead. What do you think? I think it's okay to struggle with how God comes through for us. I think it's normal and natural to struggle with how's God going to put this thing together. But it is not normal or natural in God's economy to doubt God. That's not a good place. And Abraham is walking with his son, the son of promise. And his son is asking him all these questions. And his response is, son, it is all good. It's covered. It's taken care of. God will provide. You can depend on him. But he's kind of unpredictable. Abraham had no problem trusting God with his most prized possession because Abraham knew that God was good. How God was going to fulfill his promise to Abraham was God's business. Abraham was simply trying to connect the dots. God, I don't know how you're going to provide, but I do know that you will provide. And God did provide, but not in the manner Abraham expected. He expected Isaac to be raised from the dead. God shows up with a ram. Right? He's not going to do it the way you think he ought to do it because you're not that smart. Knock it off. Stop trying to figure, well, it's, I guess it's okay to try to figure it out, but stop trying to tell them how to, how to fix it. Because you're the one that messed it up already. Right? God, I don't know how you're going to do it. This is how I think you're going to do it. And God said, no, here's how I'm going to do it. Here's how it is. Hey, I don't know how we can, I know how we can deliver Israel. We'll, we'll, we'll have a champion that will go out there and deliver Israel from bondage. I'm going to send you a carpenter. I'm going to send you a boy in a manger. Now, we want a champion. Oh, you don't even have a clue. You don't, don't even start on that one. He is a champion. He will provide. But not in the manner that you might be thinking. The cross is just, it's a symbol of excruciating pain and shame. And yet it's our badge of honor as Christians. God chose to provide in a manner that we would not have even imagined. He chose to provide for our sin, for your sin and my sin, the sacrifice of his only son that we might be... Restored into right relationship with the living God. The innocent, innocent, sinless Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. God will provide. He's totally dependable. But in my experience and what I've seen in Scripture and the experience of others, he is unpredictable. Doesn't like boxes. Doesn't fit very well in them. Perhaps that's encouraging news for some of us here today. Perhaps you're in a tough spot and wondering how is God going to provide? I think he's okay with us trying to figure out his how. As long as we trust him and lean into his amazing wisdom, grace, strength, and power throughout. As I was finishing up my sermon prep last night, Pastor Stan called me and we chatted. And uh, he suggested that I share what my family and I are trusting God to provide for our family. Uh, This past summer, um, I went to the ear, nose, and throat doctor because my ear was just really bothering me. I mean, I got this, I don't know if y'all have it, but I've got this chirping going on in my ear and First of all, it was one cricket, then two. Now I have got, got a cricket farm on my shoulder. And so I go to the doctor, and he goes, yeah, that's normal. You're old. And you're ugly. And then I picked him up off the ground after I punched him. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, he said, well, you know, you've got this tendinous thing. Not tinnin, but tinninous. Is that named after your family, Bob? Okay, just checking. So he said, you got this thing in your ear that most people your age, older people, start getting and not, not, not to worry. And, but hey, why don't we do an MRI? Let's just do an MRI. I, I, I've never known Kaiser to pass out MRIs like pills or candy. But anyways, let's do an MRI. 97% of the people that have what you have, they have tenderness, but there's a 3% that have something else. So let's just do an MRI, make sure that, you know, we kind of clean the, clean the, the slate. So they do an MRI and I get a phone call. It was in September and I get a phone call about a week later. Kimberly was up in Seattle at the time and, and uh, the lady on the other side of the phone, hey, your MRI results came back. Do you want to come in or you want to just know what they are? Said, you know what, I don't want to come in. Why don't you just tell me what you got? You have some tumors on your brain. Okay, I'm coming in. <laughs> and so... Uh, I was a little concerned, you know, when you when they say that you have tumors on your brain. I said, "Tumors like plural tumors, not like one tumor." Uh, so I went in, and uh, again, Kimberly wasn't with me. So I went in, I, I met with the neurosurgeon, and he says, uh, "You have several tumors on your brain, and they're all on the right side." There's about at first they thought there were seven, but there are actually eight tumors that are in my brain. And I could have told them, you know, pops used to hit me upside the head a few times. Maybe that's what caused it, or you know, playing football or whatever. But he said, no, you've got, and they're, they're not, first of all, they're not cancerous, which was not life-threatening. Another, another good news for me, I was really happy, although I was pretty nervous for the few days leading up to seeing him, because I had the worst case, I don't know about you, but I had worst case scenarios kind of playing out for me. But he says, you've got this thing called uh, neurofibromatosis 2, NF2. Uh, you got, the reason why the ringing is in your ears, you've got this tumor that's on, it's inside the auditory canal, and anyway, there's just jacked up stuff in my ear. And, and so the reason why you have the ringing in that cricket form on your shoulders is because it's leaning on that nerve, and, and then you've got this other one here, and then there's several other guys kind of hanging out. And so I thought, wow, that's really interesting. And he says, so we'll have to watch it close, because if they're growing, we have some prescribed treatments for it, and they're, some are invasive, and some are, radioactive and so from September till now we've been just trusting God just you know we've been praying God you can provide I I don't know how you're going to provide but I just know you you're good and you're going to provide and uh, maybe there's a tinge of uh, denial or whatever in there but I think I hope it's mostly faith that I don't know where this thing is going to land. We, we took an MRI in September. We're going to take another one in January to tell us if there's any growth. And if there is, there's a prescribed response that we're supposed to do. But in the middle of all that, you know, our family is just trusting that God will provide. Because he does. And he does it his way. I know what the doctors are saying, but there's a particular... They, <laughs> I, I kind of... Um, Caught a buddy, led a buddy of mine he, uh, in, in Hawaii, one of the kids that we had led to the Lord in, in Hawaii who's now a, uh, uh, works down in the Silicon Valley. We're talking, he said, hey, I heard about what's going on. And we I said, well, what are your options? I said, well, option one is do nothing because it's not growing. Option two is laser surgery, uh, radiation. Option three is, you know, cut a hole in my head and get it out. He said, I think I like option four. I said, what's that? He goes, the God heals it. So we're opting for option four. Actually, we move that up to option one. We don't know the manner or the way in which God will provide, but we are confident that he is good. We're just confident that he's he's good, he's faithful, because he is the ultimate promise giver. And we don't know how he'll provide, but we do know that he will provide. Abraham's life reflected who he worshipped, Abraham's relationship with God fueled his faith and Abraham discovered that God is totally dependable and unpredictable.